I'd just like to start off this morning's sharing with introducing you to two gentlemen. Can we have them on the screen, please? Yes, some of you may have heard of them before. They are Oscar Wilde and George Bernard Shaw. You may never have seen their pictures, but they have done plenty of plays. They are both Irish. They are both born within two years of one another, and they have been very influential in society at the time. In fact, we being in Asia, are still influenced by their thinking, the, the thoughts, whether for good or for bad, and it has helped shape our westernized Asian society. They have been famous in their plays. You have heard of their name, Oscar Wilde. There are many comments and quotes and writings have been attributed to both of them. But that's where the similarity ends. Oscar Wilde led a flamboyant lifestyle. From very young, he believe in the philosophy of aesthetics, means seeking after beauty and pleasure. And he has led a flamboyant lifestyle. You look at him, you, you can more or less guess what sort of lifestyle he has. He looks like Rudolf Valentino, you know. And he, he, he's married, but he has, that's never stopped him from seeking after other women. And, uh, well, he got into trouble with the law, and eventually, towards the later part of his life, he was jailed for indecent behaviour. And finally, he died a destitute at the age of 46. But even as he died, he left a legacy of many writings and plays. One of his writings is called The Picture of Dorian Gray, the more famous one. But I even ha haven't heard of it until I did some research on him. But one other thing he left behind are famous quotes. And one of the quotes that he put forward is that, I can resist everything except temptation. <laughs> what a man, what a man he is. But... He died a destitute at the age of 46. The other person is Bernard Shaw or George Bernard Shaw. He prefers to be called Bernard Shaw. He looks a bit like Sean Connery, doesn't he? But, well, he's, he, leads a more, he has a more serious approach to life. He, his thinking is more um, intellectual and, and, and he goes around the high circles of society. And um, he has very contentious views, which sometimes go into the arena of politics, and that got him unpopularity. But still, he's stuck to his views. He is married and remains faithful to his wife. He has children and left a legacy behind, which many people remember him up to today as Bernard Shaw. But, and he died at a ripe old age of 96. Well, almost twice as long as uh, the other chap. And he has this liaison too a tryst with a young lady by the name of Isidora Duncan. She's a famous dancer from America, and she one day decided to preposition pre Bernard Shaw. And this is what she wrote in a letter to him. My dear Mr. Shaw, I beg to remind you that as you have the greatest brain in the world and I have the most beautiful body, it's our duty to posterity to have a child. And to which Bernard Shaw replied, my dear Miss Duncan, I admit that I have the greatest brain in the world, but that you have the most beautiful body. But it might happen that our child will have my body and your brain. <laughs> Therefore, I respectfully decline. <laughs> that he is a man of wit, of integrity and of principle. You know? um, but when you look at this too, they don't prove anything. But we can see that the striking contrast and the outcomes between one who would do nothing to seek after pleasure, who would do everything to seek after pleasure and to give in to every temptation that comes his way, and the other who stands on his principle, even resisting the advances of a voluptuous young woman. Temptations. Ah, 
They abound everywhere. Let's take a quick survey here. How many of us have been tempted before in our life? Almost everybody. Some of us don't put up our hands. You better check your pulse whether you're still alive or not. Okay? Let me ask you another question. How many of us have given in to temptations before in our lives? Oh, less people have put up hands. Wow. Some of you who didn't put up hands, afterwards when we have an altar call, you better come forward in repentance for lying. All right? We have all given in to temptations one time or another. Well, how many of us in a time previously before we knew the Lord, we were so, so taken up by the things that crowd around us that we often would dive into temptation without even thinking twice. It's almost like the car sticker that I saw at the rear bumper that says this, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but just show the way. You know? We just go into it without even thinking. But today, Today we come here because we have a living hope. Amen? We have a new calling. We have a higher purpose. And we have a victory over temptation that's in the hands of our God Almighty. Amen? Amen. And that's why we come today to come before the Lord, expecting Him to tell us something. And let us come in prayer before we continue further. Shall we pray? Father, we just want to commit into your hands, Lord. This morning's talk, Father, that it is, it is not of my own, but it comes from your throne room, Father. So, Lord, as even the message is shared, Father, and now my brothers and sisters walk out the sanctuary afterwards, Father, into the harsh realities of the world, the challenges and the temptations that are outside. I pray, Father, that you give them a divine revelation, Father, that they will see what lies ahead and what is in the world around them. And with the revelation, Father, give them discernment, discernment to know which to choose and which path to take, Father, Lord God. And with that, Father, give them the strength and the courage to face this on the strong foundation of your word, Father. We thank you for your word that's going to be shared this morning. We commit this time back into your hands, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Victory over temptation. That's the topic for this morning's talk that I'm going to share with you. Victory over temptation. This is the fourth in a series, um, in a series of uh, Matthew, where Matthew talks about Jesus as the king. We have the reigning king over many matters, and one of which is temptation. Victory over temptation. But as I share, there are three aspects of it that I would want to share with you this morning. The first one is the person behind the victory. We need to know whom this victory comes from. The second is the purpose for the victory. And the third is the passage towards our victory. Can we all say it together? One, two, person behind the victory, purpose for the victory, and passage towards our victory. Amen, amen. To start off with, I'm sure most of us will know who the person behind the victory is. Who won this victory over temptation? Jesus, Jesus won, the reigning king. But at the time when he won this victory, it was just at the start of Jesus' ministry. He was won by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. At the time, no one knew him as the king that would come, as the Messiah that would come. It was a time of testing for him. Jesus was immediately led into the desert after he was baptized and he was affirmed as the son of God by his heavenly father. It was a time of testing for him. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And there, 
there in the midst of the wilderness, not in a metropolitan city, not in a marketplace, not in any other place, but in the wilderness. He won this victory on our behalf. That is what the Lord Jesus has achieved. Let us look at a scripture with expectancy. Let us turn. If you've got a Bible with you, let us turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we're reading from verses 1 to 11. For those of you who didn't bring the Bible or your tablets, it's on the screen, but it would be better if you have your Bible. Just open it. Reading from verse 1. Can we all read it together? Can we all read it together? Yes, yes wonderful. Let's read it together. One, two. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's just hesitate here for a while. Underline in your Bible or highlight on your tablet, On every word. Let's continue reading from verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Underline in your Bible, order. Put it down Do, to the test, all right? To the test over there, underline it. And from verse 8, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, has stopped here for a while. Highlight, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And finally, after this, then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This portion of Scripture is so precious to many of us because it speaks into the reality of our lives. Temptation becomes particularly attractive when we are in a time of need. Temptation to steal is always greater when we're desperately short of funds. The lure towards pornography is always there in times of loneliness. And every snack looks so desirable whenever we are fasting, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, like the chocolate I have in my fridge that's been there for two months, I've not paid attention to it until Lent came about. And now it becomes so deliciously inviting. <laughs> the wilderness mentioned at the beginning of Matthew 4 that we read just now, is one such place of extreme physical needs. It is a place of barrenness, where the temperatures are extreme, and where food is scarce, and where danger lurks around every corner. The wilderness, for many of us, means a time and a place of testing. Because maybe we would like to fill the barrenness with compromise, or perhaps to heat up the coldness with the warmth of a forbidden intimacy, or maybe to fill the hunger for riches with easily gained wealth, or perhaps to avoid dangers that may come our way by striking a truce with our enemies. How many of us are in this wilderness right now? 
but don't put up your hands. This morning's message is for you. What then is the purpose for this victory that Jesus won? It's a tremendous victory. It's an amazing victory, but not only for himself. When we understand the purpose, we know that this victory is actually for you and me. The scripture tells us that Jesus Christ himself has gone through 40 days of prayer and fasting. And then the temptations came in the wilderness. And he has come through victorious. He didn't come through just cruising it through. He had to struggle through it. But he overcame the temptations and he came through victorious. And because of that victory, he gives you and me hope. He gives me hope over and above any and all temptations. This victory made me realize there are three important truths which I want to share with you this morning. The first one is that Jesus became the second Adam. He became the second Adam and it proved that Jesus succeeded where Adam failed miserably. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam was tempted and he failed. But Jesus became the second Adam. Hence, bringing victory over sin to those who believe and trust in Him. Amen? In Romans 5, 17, let's read together. It's such a precious verse to me. One, two. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What does it mean? When I unpack it, it speaks of this Adam, this one man, our ancestor, who has given us this path to take, a one-way street that as we walk along. And this path goes inexorably towards temptation along the way. And it leads towards sin. And it's like a magnet that we cannot resist. It draws us towards it. But what God has done is given us this free gift through Jesus Christ. He lavished His righteousness and His grace upon us. And immediately when we do that, we turn around 180 degrees and we can go back along the path that we walked before, not leading to destruction, not leading to death, but we can walk along this path. But not only as we walk along this path, we still feel the backward pull. Even as Christians, we still feel the backward pull from time to time. But God, in His grace, and as He lavishes righteousness onto us, remember what He says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, that there is no temptation that has overtaken you, that is not common in mankind, that God is faithful, that He has allowed us to bear this temptation. And not only that, as He allows us to bear this temptation, He has also, with every temptation, provided a way out, a way out so that we can endure it. A way out. You know what the way out in Malay is? Keluar. Keluar. You know, you see all around you, Keluar, there's Keluar, Keluar there. You know, even as God has provided the way out from temp- the, 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 the 180 degree turn, He has also provided a way out that there's always an escape, always an escape for temptation. That's the grace of God poured onto our lives. Wonderful grace of God. Give God glory for that, isn't it? Wonderful that God gives us that wonderful grace that with every temptation, He has provided a way out. So every time you see a cloir sign next time and you are tempted, remember that God has provided a way out through the victory that Jesus Christ has achieved in the wilderness. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. 
God is so good, isn't he? Let's say that. God is good. God is good. Amen. Amen. Instead of the condemnation and the shame that previously would be our portion, God has turned it around into grace and victory. Amen. Hallelujah. Besides winning that victory and giving us this way out, God, Jesus, has also identified with humanity. He has identified with us, with you and me. Oh, you can say, oh no, Jesus, you are God after all. You can withstand any temptation, but while He is fully man, while He is fully God and be affirmed as the Son of God, He is also fully man. He is the Son of Man. By enduring the wilderness, being tempted as He would be, and overcoming these temptations, taking on the form of a man, a born servant even, gives us great hope, right? that there's still hope left for you and I, for a great victory, the same victory that Jesus had can be yours too, amen? That's the same victory. Hebrews 4, 15 tells us, for we have not a great high priest, a high priest, not a great high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. More, more than just a manager. If you were to imagine we are in the workplace and Jesus would be someone in the workplace. He's not like the manager who sits in his office or the CEO and issues out directives and this is how you do it, this is how you endure the temptation and this is how you overcome it. But instead, he has become the site supervisor that works alongside you and me. And at the workplace, he says, hey, this is how we do it. Hey, brother, I've gone through it before and I've overcome it. And you can do it too as you work along with me. I have done it before and you just follow in my footsteps. Amen? And that's how we do it. And that's how we can assimilate this victory that Jesus had and Jesus still have today as He's seated at the right hand of power into our lives. Amen? And not only that, the third purpose is that Jesus showed the way to overcome temptation as a discipling process for all of us as followers of Christ. Colossians 1.18 says that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything He might have the supremacy. That He has gone before us. He has shown the way. He has led us and He has gone through victoriously so that we can follow you know, yesterday I was looking at the, congr- the audience and I saw Dato Li Hua Bing there and then this group of people. And some of you are in here with the same group. I remember you all will come for the second service. You know, you all go hiking and, and I really have great respect for this man. He would hike from Barrio to Bakalalan and then back again. Wow, days spent in the jungle, one whole week trashing through the jungle. And how many of us have gone hiking before? Quite a number. Wow, this is a very sporting church. <laughs> Outdoor looking and that's great. Yeah, we come from East Malaysia and what are the Borneo jungles to us, right? Jesus has conquered everything before, so can we conquer it? Amen. You know, when you go through the jungle, it's so difficult. Sometimes you lose the track and you are lost with all the trees and leaves before you and you have to take the parang out and you have to cut through. It takes twice as long and maybe four times the effort to cut through the jungle when there's no path. But when someone has cleared a path before you, Oh, it's so easy to walk along the path. It's almost like a stroll in a park. Not that easy though, but you try it for yourself. But when you have a path there, it gets so easy to go through. And Jesus has done exactly that. He has shown the way. And all we have to do is follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Follow Him. You want to hear more? 
come to the third and the fourth service, all the fourth service, Pastor Lee Chu will be speaking on follow me, yeah, on following Jesus later on. But this is already wonderful. I've heard this story. It's not just a story. It's a testimony of a brother and a sister who were staunch Buddhists before. Three years ago, in the middle of a week, they walked into this building. They just arrived in Kuala Lumpur and they were searching for a fellowship, searching for truth, searching for something that brings meaning into their life. And they walked into the church in the middle of the week. Of course, in the middle of the week, there's nobody except in the church office. And lo and behold, they found Pastor Lindy. Is she here today? Oh, yes, yeah, she's sitting there. I think she knows this story very well. And this couple found her. And although Pastor Lindy was in a hurry to go off, she spent time and she shared Jesus with them. And within a week, they became Christians. And not only they became Christians, they decided to, end, to join a cell. And in that cell, they were discipled. They decided that this is not just about making a choice only, but it's about making a commitment to following Jesus. And as they were disciples, that same cell leader over the years led them step by step to follow Jesus along the way. And today, today, three years later, they are cell leaders. And not only are they cell leaders, the cell have multiplied. And not only multiplied, the cell leader has become a zone leader. And they are encouraging and the cell now is bursting at the seam and it's going to multiply again. They have found the truth. They have found the one that has shown the way and they have followed him. That is what Jesus has achieved over temptation and sin in our lives. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But as we expect the Lord to speak further from his word, there is the third portion, the third part of victory over temptation. And what is that? That's the passage towards our victory. Not just Jesus' victory, but our victory, yours and mine, our victory. How was this victory won? And how we can follow Jesus in this? We know Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted and prayed. But nothing was said much about what happened during the 40 days, except, except at the end when he was tempted three times. This account gets down to where we live on a daily basis. It tells us that temptation can come at any time when we least expect it. It may come in a moment of weakness when we are likely to give in to it. But no matter when it comes, Jesus has overcome it. Amen? He has overcome it victoriously and His victory is shared with you and me. Hallelujah! Jesus reveals three passages, three pathways in order for us to be also victorious over temptation. They are relying on God's Word, trusting in God's protection, and serving God is worship. Let us start with the first one, relying on God's Word. But not just His providence. Relying on God's Word come when Jesus responded to Satan. And where was that? Let us go back to verse 4, when Jesus answered. Let us read together. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is not only in God's providence that we survive. Not the food on your table, not the roof over your head, not the career that you have, not the money that comes in at the end of the month. Not only that, that is not to say not important, but more than that, more than that, it is the word of God that comes from the mouth of God. And with that, with that comes also the victory, the bonus that comes along with it. When Jesus was facing temptation, He used the Word of God. He didn't try to argue the devil 
or to reason with him. He didn't try to impress Satan with a great display of his power. Here are my heavenly hosts and Satan be gone. No, he didn't do that. Satan would have us believe that we can embrace part of this temptation and grapple with it ourselves. But the scripture, the Bible, the word of God says there are some things that we are to flee from. For example, fornication, idolatry, love of wealth, youthful lusts. These are not to be there. Temptation is not to be reasoned with. It's to flee from. Temptation is not to be reasoned with. It's to flee from. Amen? So don't try to display your spiritual power by toying with temptation. Run from it. Go away from it. That's so important. That's so important. Jesus didn't try to shout the devil down either. Sometimes in this world of ours, it's always the loudest that we know he didn't do that. All the shouting in the world will not make a difference if you don't know the Word of God. Amen? It's so important to know the Word of God. And what does it mean by knowing? It's not just reading it on the surface. Because you notice that Satan also quoted scriptures to Jesus. What do you do when Satan gives you a scriptural reason to justify sin? Do you respond by saying, well, since you put it that way, Satan, I think you've got a very good point there. Or perhaps, you know, Satan, I never thought of it that way before, but since you read it from the scripture, yeah, I might try it just this once. That's when you're treading on dangerous ground. You don't reason with Satan. You flee from him. You flee from temptation. Amen? Amen. But when I say flee, it doesn't mean that you flee in fear. You retreat and you fight Satan by knowing your scripture. You don't reason with Satan. You resist him. You turn to the word of God and you rebuke him in Jesus' name. And who will flee? Satan will flee from you. James 4, verse 7 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And paraphrased by this man of God known as Frederick Faber, who has gone home to the Lord, he says this, Every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory. Every moment of resistance to temptation is a victory in itself. Hallelujah. We need to know what the Word of God really says. And need to realize that quoting scripture is not a secret formula that is going to magically make the devil disappear. He already knows what the Bible is going to say. But my question to you this morning is, do you? Do you know what the Bible says? How many of us are in a regular habit of reading the Bible? Let's say going through the Bible over one year. How many of us are doing that? Quite a number. Some of us are shy and putting up our hands. Never mind. But reading the Bible regularly puts us in a position to be equipped to have this weapon to defend against temptation. Let us have a look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is written by the psalmist who was contemplating, and I believe it is uh, David who was thinking. When he was young, how does he keep from sinning against God? Shall we just read it all together? One, two. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin 
against you, Lord. It is so important that we start young. It is why it talks about how does a young person is because we need to know the Word of God right from young, not when we are in retirement age, not when we go on a holiday. It will never happen if you push it off until then. Start right now. If you have never started, start today by a single chapter, uh, maybe a paragraph of devotion, but do it consistently, not just a day, not just a week, but consistently. If you love someone, you would want to talk to that someone every day. God loves you. And in your response, in my response, read His Word daily. And as you start, you begin to see the transformation take place in your life. It will happen. Do not be distracted too as you read the Word of God. If possible, have a hard copy of the Bible. At least the Bible doesn't beep or have a notification running across its page when you read it. One of the problems in this modern digital age is that we have tablets and we always read it with tablets. And a lot of times, there's the WhatsApp, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, whatever you have that comes into your Bible. <laughs> the hard copy doesn't allow for that. And it's so important that we seek and rely on the Word of God and not just in His providence. Verse 9 goes on to say, by living according to your word. More important than just reading the Bible, we need to live the word out. We need to live it out by putting into the practice just a principle, an exaltation, a teaching that has been internalized into our lives. Allows the word, the logos, the word that's in black and white, to be turned into Rima, the living word by the Holy Spirit as He illumines our mind, as He enlightens us, as we begin to live it out. Oh, things begin to happen around us. That's so important. And then it says, keep the word close to our hearts, which is so important. It is not only just reading it outside, but inside. When the word is close to our heart, it begins to change our heart towards things. Gina and I come from a small church, and you may have heard this before. A small church is about 200 over people. And during that time, the church is a little bit like uh, a, a traditional family where, you know, children are meant to be seen and not to be heard. So that goes for the women too. The women are seen and not to be heard in that church. They do grow in the Lord, but they are supposed to remain quiet in the church. And during that time when Gina was in the church, she was a very timid. She was hardly be able to express her potential, or even to lead other women, let alone men. But today, she, God has made her and changed her and empowered her into a woman that can lead other women. But what, how it happened is when she started with enrolling in a Bible study fellowship. It's a regular study of God's Word. And when she began to rely on God's Word, initially, the going was not easy. It was not just like, poof, enroll, and it became, you know, the, the Lord changed her. It was so difficult. She came home with homework. Imagine that, having homework every week. And when she had the homework, she asked, hey, can I do the homework for her? I said, no, <laughs> this is your transformation. This is God speaking to you. So she kept going at it. And when she hit the momentum, there was no stopping her. The, the Bible becomes so, so attractive, so appealing to her. And she just gobbled up the word week after week. And she spent nine whole years doing it week after week. And because of that, the Lord has transformed her. And when we came to SIBKL, with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, He revealed a whole new dimension to God's Word. And with the, you know, there's this saying, I'm sure you know that, with just the Word, you dry up. With just the Spirit, you blow up. With the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. Amen? And that's how she has grown into 
a leader today that empowers others, that teaches others. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm not boasting about her, but it's purely of the Lord's doing through His Word and through the working and partnership of the Holy Spirit in her life. And praise God for that. Praise God for that. And He can do the same for you too. And you too. Seek the Lord through His Word. The second part of it is not only relying on God's Word, but turning in trusting in God's protection. Trust in God's protection. Don't test His presence. Where does it say that? In verse 7. Let's read it together. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When Satan brought Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple and asked him to throw himself down, he was testing God. He started by saying, If you are the Son of God, and tested Jesus to see whether he is committed to the Lord or not himself. But Jesus rebuked him from the scripture and says, do not put God to the test. Jesus' journey into the wilderness was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And we too need to trust in the power and protection of the Holy Spirit. How real is the Holy Spirit to you? We are foolish to think that we can survive on our own in the wilderness. And equally foolish, on the other hand, to think that we have been, when we are in the wilderness, we are all alone by ourselves. At either end, we tend to test God to see if He's really there. We tend to push our boundaries to see that if we can do it on our own. Don't do that. Don't do that. The Scripture encourages us from Galatians 3, verse 3. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Don't rely on ourselves, especially when it comes to temptation, when it comes to justifying sin. Trust in the counselling of the Holy Spirit who is your partner, who is your counsellor, who is your parakletos. By ourselves, we are tiny, we are puny, to use the language of the Marvel comics, and weak when compared with the principalities, the powers, the spiritual forces of darkness, and the wickedness that's in the high places. We are weak compared to them. We may think that we may be having a high status, a manager, a CEO, a professional in the workplace, or even uh, the head of the family at home. But that's the natural world. And within us, intertwined within us, there's this supernatural realm. Paul talks about it as a second heaven. We have this that surrounds us. And when we are in there, we are just but a speck of dust in this supernatural realm. We are puny, we are weak, and their powers are beyond our imagination. But you don't need to fear. You don't need to fear. But don't do it on your own. When you face the temptations on your own, it is like walking down Bukit Bintang or Chowkit Road in the middle of the night alone, or swimming in the crocodile-infested waters of the Rajang River in Sarawak, or perhaps swimming in the Great Barrier Reef in shark-infested waters with a bleeding wound. You will attract danger you will attract Satan to come and assail you. Do it with the Holy Spirit. We need somebody who scares the devil and causes him to tremble with fear. That somebody is Jesus. And in the G with Jesus in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Yes, Jesus is there with us. But the Holy Spirit is within you. He is the guarantee and the deposit which God has placed in you for the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Amen? The Holy Spirit is in you. And the same power that kicks Satan out of heaven will conquer him on earth. Amen? Amen. 
So trust in God's protection for the Holy Spirit is with you and in you. 1 John 4, 4 says that it is, yes, you are children of God and from God and I and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Call upon the Holy Spirit all the time when you pray. Speak in the tongue of angels. Pray unceasingly and give thanks to God. Come and join in the congregation of prayer altars. When we pray, we come into the presence of God. And when in the presence of God, it is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when, even when we run out of words, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that are too deep that we don't even understand. The Holy Spirit is so important, it's so important to me. I've never known what it is to really allow the Holy Spirit to take control and take hold of my life until I walked into SIBKL. Previously, I know the Word, but I was drying up. But when the Holy Spirit just came into my life, not that He came in that first time, but when, when I realized that He's there all the time, that I'm not relying on Him. But when that realization came, that moment, it was a moment of transformation. I speak to you today, excited, expectant of God. It's because of the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And thirdly, thirdly, serving God is worship. Serving Him is worship, and that's when, when we serve the Lord, we come under His governance. But if there's an area where we fail, it is here. It is the difficulty in commitment to loving and serving God where we fail most. In verse 10, when Jesus replied to Satan that caused him to flee from His presence, He said this, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That is a powerful statement. Yet, it's difficult too because of the commitment that's involved. Worship in Greek is proskuneo and serving is latrio. Both these Greek words speak of paying homage and honour to God. But put together, it speaks of an undying, top-priority devotion to God through both the acts of physical act of worship, which He did just now, that was amazing, but it is also through the act of serving the Lord, not only in the church, but regardless of whether in the church or outside the church, we need to serve the Lord. Whether it's at home, at your church, or in the workplace, it's serving the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says that in all things when we do, we do it for the glory of God. That includes not just serving in church, but also serving in the workplace. Serving is worship. Work is also worship. In its original form, there is no division. Any division is artificially created by the master of uh, deception, by the father of lies. One of Satan's strategy is to confine the Christian, you and I, our effectiveness to within the four walls of the church. That's his strategy. He wants to give us a lie to think that you are Christians only within the church. But once you get out of the church, the circumstances around becomes alien to you. You cease to behave as a disciple outside the church. I know many of you it doesn't happen, but that is a lie that Satan wants to plant in our minds. Do not be deceived by that. A disciple, a true disciple, serves and loves the Lord in the church, at home, at play, and at work. Amen? 
Hallelujah. When Jesus quoted Scripture, it wasn't His ability to quote Scripture that gave Him the victory. He was telling Satan by quoting Scripture to let him know that he was committed. He was committed to Father God and he wants to submit under the sovereignty of God and worshipping Him and serving Him alone and always. Even as a son of God, Jesus was fully submitted to God the Father as Son of Man. In Matthew 20, 28, it says, Even as a Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We too need to be committed by being submitted to God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. So when you commit through serving, through loving His Word and trusting in the Holy Spirit, you will walk in the same footsteps as the passage that Jesus took when He won the victory over temptation. Amen? In the last half hour, as I spoke on victory over temptation, what have I been talking about? I started off by talking about the person behind the victory, who is primarily the Lord Jesus Christ, the purpose for the victory, which is Christocentric in its totality, totally about the Lord Jesus, having, becoming the second Adam, Jesus taking on the form of humanity, and Jesus showing the way for us. And thirdly, the passage towards our victory, not just Jesus' victory, but our victory over temptation. It's threefold. First, it's relying on God's Word. Secondly, it's trusting in God's protection. And thirdly, it's serving God, being worship itself. Hallelujah. So as I close, I'd just like you, I'd just like to introduce you to one other person. His name is Andrei Sakharov. How many of you heard of him? Hardly anyone, right? I sort of heard of the name before, but I didn't realize who he is. He's the father of the hydrogen bomb. The one weapon that might terminate all life on earth itself. Of course, by his name, you know that he's Russian. And it was Russian who has come up with the hydrogen bomb after the atomic bomb. And today, it's the most powerful weapon on earth. And that's what he thought too. But in the later years of his life, he realized that through the lies, the deception and the manipulative policies of the Soviet Republic, he changed his mind about the bomb. And this is what he has to say. I've always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb. And that's why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb, but it's the truth. And he's not the only one who believes so. Winston Churchill, the wartime Prime Minister of England, says this about truth. Truth is the most valuable thing in the world, so much so that it's often hidden by a bodyguard of lies. You have heard the truth of Jesus Christ's personage, purpose and passage in victory over temptation in the last half hour or so. You have the most powerful and valuable weapon in your hands. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Will you go the way of Oscar Wilde, giving in to every which temptation that comes your way and ended up as a destitute? Or will you stand on the principle of God's Word, trusting in the Holy Spirit and committing yourself to the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Many of us here will say, oh, I've already done that. But come on, let's be honest with ourselves. Trusting and committing to the Lord has different degrees. You could have 90 degrees committed yourself to the Lord or 50% of the time or maybe even 1% of the time you could have said you've committed yourself to the Lord. But then we go back to what they always say, don't we? That if Jesus is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. How much have we actually committed to following Jesus? I'm speaking to some of you here that are struggling with issues or being caught up in a web of lies as a result of falling into temptation some time ago. It is clouding up the truth that you are so desperately seeking but never finding it. I don't know what it is from up here, but you know, and God knows, right here, right now. And Jesus is inviting you to come forward later when the altar is open. There is no shame or condemnation, remember, that it is the Lord Jesus Himself who has gone through it before that has provided the way. 180 degrees turn and the Kalua, that's all there. And this is an opportunity for the Lord to minister to you this morning. There's an awesome presence of God in His house right now, right here. And just let us tap onto this presence. I sense there's some amongst you who has not achieved this victory, who feels that you are unworthy to receive this victory over temptation, over sin in your life. And you're here this morning and you are just standing there. And the Lord wants to tell you, son, daughter, come, come. Come forward. I love you so much. I love you so much. And this victory is yours. It's yours. If you just come forward, it's yours. Just commit yourself because I loved you and I gave my son that when I did not spare him, who, what will I withhold from you? What will I not give alongside with the Lord Jesus Christ into your life? Come forward. And I just want to thank the Lord for each one of you who is here this morning. We have come in such expectation that the Lord is pleased indeed that you choose to honour Him, to worship Him and spend time with Him this morning. So as you go out into the world, as you go out through these doors, they say, Skolowa, let you be reminded that the Lord has given you a way out. He has given you a path to choose, to take. And with that, everyone that leads to destruction, He has given you a way out. Choose that path. Choose that path this morning. And we pray that the love of the Father that is so rich, that's inseparable from us, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, which He lavished upon us to allow us to turn around and to seek the way out each time that temptation is ahead of us. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that which we can trust, that whom walks with you daily, accompany us from this home, this home of the Lord, onto our own homes, our loved ones back home and in the workplace and beyond, until we come together and meet again. We pray this will be our portion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's keep our good